Hey, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Genesis chapter 35. Uh, while you're turning there, I just want to say a big thank you. So last weekend, how many, last weekend seems like a long time ago, but last weekend the church was so gracious in honoring uh, our family's 20th year of serving here. And I got to say, the prime rib was amazing. Wow. It was so good. I put on weight. Does it show? Dude, I ate and ate. It was so great. Not only that, you brought in wonderful people. I want to say thank you so much. Had so much fun to have Wade and Andrea here. And then Samantha showed up, which was crazy, and Emily. And so our whole family was together, except for Riley. Uh, but we still loved him. And, um, but it, it was so awesome. Can I just say something? It is our incredible honor to serve an amazing church. How many know Asbury Church is something special? There's something amazing about this group of people that's greater than the pastor, um, is greater than the staff. It's actually, listen, it, it's not the buildings, it's you folks. And uh, we just want to say thank you. It's our incredible honor uh, to serve. As Rachel mentioned last week, our hearts are full. And so it's been a great week of celebrating and a weekend. We said wait because it was also my birthday, and so we did a couple extra things, but you'll find out about in a moment. But before we go any further today, so again, I want to welcome everyone here this morning. So today we're going to begin a new series uh, for the next uh, three weeks entitled The God of Renewal. Now, how many like restoration projects? Okay, none of us. How many are restoration projects? Okay, a few of us. Okay, now I used to, I've done construction and so there's nothing quite the, the fun of renovating. You go in, you see these buildings and, and you're like, oh my goodness, this one's a fixer-upper. And then you're like going, hey, we can, we can just knock out this little bit of a project, you know, today. How many have ever had one of those things, you're like, I'll just tackle this little piece, restoration, today. And then you open the wall and you go, no, it'll be the weekend. And then you find out it's the next three or four months. Uh, just, just because they're, they're just projects. They, they just go on. And, and this is the thing I love about God. I, I heard uh, a professor say this. I love this. How many know God doesn't make junk? Yeah. Can I get an amen on this? And look at your neighbor and say, you're not junk. You may look like trash. Don't say that. I was just kidding. I was just kidding. <laughs> but you're not junk, right? But it, th this is the part I love. He not only said that God doesn't make junk, but God doesn't junk what he makes. I mean, that's pretty awesome. He doesn't junk what he makes. And so God works to bring about restoration. And it starts at the beginning of the book. It goes all the way to the end. I love what it says in Revelation 21.5. God says, I am making everything new. All right, so this is good news. This means that, you know what, you're not done yet. Look at your neighbor and let them know they're not done yet. You're going to look better one day. Don't tell you that part either. But, but this is the thing. God is at work, and he is making everything new. And the idea of new there is this idea of restoration. And again, it's this theme that begins right at the beginning of the book and goes all the way through the end, that God is a God of renewal. And, and so Genesis, so over the next few weeks, we're going to look at uh, three stories from Genesis. Um, and I want you to know, Genesis is not just a book of beginnings. Because sometimes we think about Genesis and we're like, it's how everything began. But it's not just about beginnings, it's about new beginnings. It contains stories of renewal, reversal, and restoration. The recreation of life. We see at the beginning that God makes life, but, but as sin enters in, things start to fall apart. But we find out that God doesn't junk what He makes. And we see Him intervene in the stories 
to bring life by renewing identity, strength, and hope. And he doesn't just do it in the, the pages of the Old Testament and the New. He's doing it in our lives today. So today, as we begin the series, I want to talk about being defined by grace. Now, I had an, a good idea. Uh, I think it was last year. How many of you get, you know, Pastor Dwayne, he's like, you know, he's bragging because he's not quite 50. I'm about over 50. You, re you remember you had an idea, but you don't remember when you had the idea, but it was a good idea? Okay, I got one of them. I had one of them. So you know what today should have been? Jersey Sunday. Okay, so next week, just so you know, whatever Super Bowl weekend it is, I'm just announcing it now. It may get forgotten between now and then, but it will be Jersey Sunday. Now, moment of truth here this morning. How many of you love football? Let's hear it for football. Yeah, that's pretty weak. All right. All right, so, so we got, we got the, the Eagles and the Chiefs. Where are my Eagle fans today? Where are Eagle fans? All right, where are my Chief fans? Okay, so that pathetic cheer for the Eagles outdoes the cheers for the Chief, right? You know, how many are going for Green Bay this year? Woo! Okay, and Seattle, right? Um, So, oh, and by the way, when you come tonight, just bring a jersey. doesn't matter what. But, but I love jersey because it's a way to help identify what team you're on. Now, it's been great because I, I've started collecting some jerseys, and so I, the church gave me this one because it's the Giants. How many know the Giants are special? All right, Giants fans, let's hear it. Let's represent. Yeah, that's what I thought, Right? You can tell who's in the building, who identifies with what. Now, again, we all know the right team is Green Bay. Green Bay. So I need to put this very prominent. So we'll put it right here. Okay. Now, when I moved here, I got to tell you, I love football. But how many know hockey is the sport of champions? Come on now. All right. So for all you Big Red fans, how many of you love Big Red? How many have been to a Big Red hockey game? Okay, you're way too quiet. Townies up. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. Shake the keys. And I will do all the chants. It's so much fun. But I remember we got Cornell jer jerseys because, okay, Chuck brought it up last week. So one of the most, like, horrible things that was ever done to me, perpetrated upon me as a pastor, is when I, on Pastor Appreciation, pastor Appreciation Sunday, I was given tickets to Cornell Hockey. And then I had to read the fine print, and it said women's field hockey. <laughs> it, it was terrible. I want you to know the therapist says I'm making good progress. But here's another jersey. USA. 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 Right? So this is a hockey one. And again, hockey is dear to my heart. I'm running out of places. That's okay. I'll put it over here. This is going to be good. See, it's Jersey Sunday. But this is my favorite. This is my favorite. So, as you all know, birthday was this week. Now, I just want to say, oh, I forgot to say, thank you for the socks. For those who want to know what I'm wearing, I'm wearing football socks. It's all pretty because it's football Sunday. But I got to tell you, so this is my team, hockey, Edmonton Oilers. So for my birthday, we went down to Philadelphia on Thursday, and we went to a hockey game. And you know what's great? Because we are a proud group of fans in my family. And so we were all wearing our Euler jerseys 
into the den of darkness. Now, if you've ever, if you've ever uh, got Philly fans, how many know Philly fans are special fans? It, it's so great because Emily's like, yeah, it's going to be crazy. Whether they win or lose, there's going to be a riot. And it's just like, yeah, because we just love our game, right? So we go in and we wear our Edmonton because you know who we're with? We're with Edmonton, and we were cheering and screaming, and it was great because um, the, the people all around us, we thought they were cheering for Oilers because they kept saying, let's go Oilers, and we were just, we were so loud, it sounded like everybody was saying what we were saying, but it was, it was so fun. Now, what's great about these is, is when you put one of these jerseys on, you're like, this is who I am, loud and proud, Oiler fans, right, or whatever you are, pick your team. And it's great because what jerseys do, it helps provide, in a sense, an identity. This is who I am with. This is what I'm cheering for. Well, today as we talk about this idea of being defined by grace, there's actually a question that I think is behind it that, that is so important. I think it's a question we all wrestle with. And that is this question. Who am I? Who am I? Now, I love Les Mis. How many love Les Mis? For those who haven't seen Les Mis, it is a wonderful story where a man is wrestling out, who am I? He's a man at the beginning of the story. He's, he's, he's a prisoner, and he has a number, 24601. And he wrestles throughout because as he, as he experiences grace, he wrestles with, who am I? Am I 24601 or am I Jean Valjean? How do I live out this life? And I'm convinced everybody here wrestles with the question, who am I? We struggle with identity. Now, in our, in our time, we, we, we create an identity around all sorts of things. We, we sometimes create identity around our jobs. Sometimes we create identity around our desires or our appetites. Sometimes it's our history. Sometimes it's our hurts. And, and the list goes on. And what's interesting is, as a result of all of this identity, it's in a sense that we have a name placed upon ourselves. You see, as we go through life, names are conferred to us that begin to help or that begin to identify who we are. You see, all of us at some point, we have names conferred upon us. It's happened at birth, you know, that's conferred upon us by our families. Have you ever noticed... You You've all heard about those teen years that are a little crazy. I remember the teen years. How many of you were a terrible teen? Just raise your hand. How many of you were moderate? How many of you just were angels and saints? <laughs> yeah. Look at all the liars. It's so beautiful. <laughs> Self-identified sinners right there. But, but you know about the, the teen years, right? You know how there's this, this, this thing that happens sometimes between kids and parents? Do you know what that's all about? is kids are just trying to figure out who they are. Uh, apart from their family, they've been given a name, and, but, but they're still trying to work out, well, who am I? Sometimes names are conferred upon us by achievement. You know, so if you, you, go, you get enough schooling done, you, you become, you know, you're, you're a graduate, and, you know, may, maybe you get a doctorate or a master's. I just want you to know, now that I have my master's, it's not as awkward when Rachel calls me master, it's just a, it's a beautiful thing. And no, she doesn't call me that. Only in my imagination. Um, 
But we have names conferred upon us by achievement. So sometimes we have names conferred upon us by others. You know, sometimes, you know, it, it may be we pick up a nickname that, that we go through life. For, for example, someone around here has the nickname Cupcake. I won't say who, Don. Um, it's just our secret. But you ought to see the photo. It's awesome. But, but we pick up. And, and really, did you know that our culture is about trying to confer names on people? I don't know if you've realized this or not, but all around us, there's a big struggle about identity. Who am I? What am I? What, what, what defines me? And, and it's interesting because what culture tries to do is, is culture tries to exert its influence upon your life, even to begin to shape your identity. Now, what I find interesting about this, and I don't have time to go through all of this, but it, an interesting thought is found in Daniel chapter 1, that when the children of, of God, you remember Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? That when they went to Babylon, one of the first things that they experienced to begin to change who they are and to incorporate them into a different culture was to change their name. And what was interesting about it is each of them, before they went to Babylon, as a part of their name, they had a part of God's name as a part of their name because they belonged to him. But once they were in Babylon, their names were changed and the gods of the culture around them were added to their names. And so for each of them, the God of Israel or the aspects of God's name the God of Israel upon them was exchanged for the gods of the culture. And I want you to understand that, that in the world that we live in, there is this huge push to shape people's identity. And I want you to know, there's so much tragic stuff. Like I, I got to tell you, my heart breaks um, for young people, uh, for, for people in, in this season, because there's so much that's being pushed upon them about shaping their identity. And, and, it's, and it wrecks them. And, and this, is, this is a big thing. So, so, so in names, we get these names placed upon us. Not only that, names are conferred by circumstances and events. We get called husbands and wives, fathers and mothers. Sometimes we have events that we go through and all of a sudden now we, we have a name conferred upon us and all of a sudden we're an ex or maybe a step. Maybe we become a widow. The list goes on and on. But all of a sudden, these different names begin to shape how we see ourselves. Those names begin to influence and impact how we interact in our world. You see, even as in Bible days, there's a connection between names and purpose, identity and destiny. And this is why we wrestle with who we are. And this is why, as we do things, we continually to try and present and project better identities than we are. We want people to have this sense that, you know, we got our stuff together. Like my socks match. My blessed daughter-in-law yesterday, I saw her. Her socks didn't match. I'm like, oh, good Lord. Stephanie, they were close. They were like, she's like, they both shimmer. And I'm like, they're the wrong color. As a sock guy, I appreciate matching. Some of you here, you're like, it doesn't matter. I don't have to have it together. I'm like, you have to have it together. How many want to vote on this one? How many think your socks ought to match? Raise your hands. How many think they shouldn't match? We'll pray for you too. 
But you know, we, we love to project this identity, I have my stuff together. And, and part of that is, you've all heard uh, that, that famous in, in a, uh, Will Rogers saying, you never get a second chance to make a first impression. And so we're, we're trying to create this impression of how people see us, and, and so we, we continue to work and manipulate and try and shape our identity. Sometimes as we go through difficulties, as names get added to us, sometimes names we don't enjoy or don't like, there's, there's this sense that's a, where, where we're like, oh, you know, I have to leave. I have to go somewhere else. I can't, I can't stay in this place because this is how they know me. And many times this discomfort and dissonance begins to settle in people's heart. There's this great need to try and go somewhere else. Yet the challenge is this, is that wherever we go, we take ourselves with us. And the challenge is, is that, you know what? It's not just what others are saying about who we are. It's about what we say we are. And this is why I think it's so important for us to, to wrestle about this whole identity piece. And as we look at our, our text this morning in Genesis chapter 35, the big idea is simply this, is that God longs to intervene in our story and redefine us by His grace. Now, where we come to in Genesis chapter 35, there's so much that's gone on before. I'll just give you a quick summation. Uh, Jacob, who is the grandson of Abraham, if you remember, he stole his brother's blessing, so to speak, and his brother said, listen, when dad dies, I'm killing you. And so he runs in fear for his life and ends up going to a different place. And in that different place, he finds women that, you know, he falls in love with a woman and there's this whole thing that goes on and and he becomes a dad, and life changes. And then God says, listen, Jacob, it's time to go back. It's time to confront the past. It's time to come face to face with the brother who promised to kill you. It's time to go back to the place of promise. And so compelled by conviction of God's calling and his promise, Jacob ends up returning. And, and, and it's an amazing story because instead of being wrecked, he finds grace. Grace for his past and grace for his is future. And so what happens then is after this, this reconciliation, this restoration, there's a little movement that happens and then something terrible. And the passage that we're going to read, I feel, has so much emotion to it. It's, it there, there's, so, there, there's so many deep feelings connected in, in just a few short verses. Yet ultimately, it's about the hope of a new life. It's about the restoration of relationship and the beginning of something new. What we're going to find out that as we read this story is that there's going to be a little boy who's given a tragic name because he is a part of tragic circumstances and it becomes his name. And so this is what it says in verse 16. When they moved on from Bethel, while they were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel began to give birth and had great difficulty. And as she was having great difficulty in childbirth, the midwife said to her, don't despair for you have another son. And as she breathed her last, for she was dying, she named her son Benoni, but his father named him Benjamin. Now, as we go through this, I just want to note a couple things real quickly. First of all, life is complicated. Life is marked by complications. How many of you have found out that life isn't always easy? 
Life doesn't even go in the trajectory that, that you imagine, wish, or want. That, that sometimes you have all these great ideas. This is what life is going to look like. And then you're like going, yeah, that's not what life is. It's filled with complications. Now, as we pick up this story, that there's a journey that's taking place that, that, that what happened is Jacob and his family are leaving Bethel and they are going to Bethlehem. And it's interesting that the, the two names, Bethel is the house of God and he's going from the house of God and, and that was the place where, where Jacob, when he was fleeing from his brother, where he laid his head down, he put his head on a rock and he had this vision of this ladder going from the earth to the heavens and the angels going up and down and God saying, I will bless you. And he called the place Bethel, which means house of God. What we're going to find out is he's leaving that place, and he's on his way to Ephrath. And Ephrath, uh, what we'll come to know is Bethlehem. Bethlehem means house of bread. It's, it's a place where there's abundance. And so, in, in a sense, there's this movement from the house of God to the house of abundance. Yet between the two places, great pain is experienced for Jacob. And what should have been a, a moment of great joy and celebration was marred. By bitter, by bitter pain. Rachel goes into labor. And she begins to experience great difficulty. Okay, now as the father of four children and was present for all four births, I think every birth is difficulty. It looks like it hurts. Um, for our first child, we experience the difficulty that comes with childbirth. Um, our daughter, like Samantha, when she was born, like it was, it, was, it was a chaotic situation all through the night that our doctor was all concerned for both the mother and the child. And I remember so anxious going into a hallway because they were just like, like going, we, we don't know what to do. And I remember just going in and just, and just trying to find a place where I could just, just pray for a moment, say, God, I need grace because I don't know how we're going to get through this. God, I'm concerned for my wife and I'm concerned for my baby. And Rachel was in a place, and, and, and I'm so grateful for modern medicine. I'm grateful for all the bells and whistles and all the things that we have because our story turned out well. But for some people, that difficulty doesn't turn out well. And instead of the joys, all of a sudden there's these complications and there's these great pains. And, and all of a sudden, instead of the celebration of, li of life, all of a sudden there's the agony. There, there, there's the fear. There's death. Now, you know the story of Rachel. She was the loved wife. Yet she experienced fertility issues. Yet in the midst of all of this, God granted her a son. And there were great difficulties in childbirth. Life isn't always easy. And we encounter difficulty. And it overwhelms and unsettles us. And, and, and this is part of the nature of life. I, I wish I could tell my children, I wish I could tell you that life is easy and you'll get from A to B real easy, but, but I can't do that because I know what life is like. It's filled with complications and those complications weigh on you and they shape you. 
Another thing I note about this passage is that what we want doesn't always get us what we want. It's interesting that, that as, as, as she's wrestling in, this, in, in the midst of this childbirth, this difficult delivery, and all of a sudden a son is born, and, and, and it says that the midwife said to her, don't despair for you have another son. I'm sure that the midwife is trying to speak encouragement. She's trying to speak words that will soothe even in the midst of the great anguish and pain. Don't despair, you have another son. It's kind of interesting that this, this passage is actually connected to another passage, passage in Genesis chapter 30. If you remember, you know, uh, the story, there's Leah and she's got all these kids. And then there's the two, you know, maidservants that all of a sudden have kids. But Rachel had no children and she cried out to God and God heard her prayer and gave her a son. Do you remember all this story? And she ends up naming the son Joseph. And when she named him Joseph, you may not realize it, but that name is actually her prayer. It says in Genesis 30, verses 23 to 24, she became pregnant and gave birth to a son and said, God has taken away my disgrace. And she named him Joseph and said, may the Lord add to me another son. Do you know what Joseph means? He adds. Add another, Lord. You see, what we want doesn't always get us what we want. And again, I wish life was, with, was without these complications, with, was with ease, that we can you know, go from A to B and it all be good. But, but the reality is, is sometimes is even we pursue the things we want, we don't always get the things we want. And we deal with the pain and the hurt. Yet in the midst of all this, and this is what I want you to see in this story, is that grace offers us a better future. I said this story is about a boy with a tragic name. It tells us in verse 18, as she breathed her last, for she was dying, she named him Benoni. That Rachel said, you know, this is going to be his name. This is what he's going to carry through his life. This is how he's going to be referred. This is what he's going to be known for. He's going to be Benoni, which means son of my trouble. And, and, and the word, so Ben and Benoni, Ben is son. Oni, that word there can mean trouble. It can also mean transgression. Sometimes that word gets translated in other places as sin. Like, this is the son of my, my, my troubles, my transgressions, my sin. Could you imagine being a son who has to carry the weight of that name? That every time my name is called, whether I realize it or not, I'm being connected with the death of my mother. Something that I've been made responsible for. And I've got to carry that weight. How many know that there's a, there, there's a weight that can come with a name? And some of you here, you are carrying the weight of names. You're carrying the names, you're, you're carrying the weight of a name, you're carrying the weight of Benoni. In the sense that you're carrying the weight because there's been a, a sin, a transgression, a trouble that you've gone through. And it has become for you something that identifies you for who you are. 
Sometimes you're struggling in relationship and part of it is because sometime in the past you've, something happened and, 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 and your heart's been broken and, and, and it's hard to do life in healthy relationships when you're just carrying the name. Name of failure. Name of pain, pain of trouble, a, pain of, a name of transgression. You see, what's your identity? What names do you carry? Maybe you've been through some troubles. Maybe there's some transgressions. And you carry that weight. I want you to know that if the story ended there, it would be a tragic story in Scripture. But I want you to know that death did not have the last didn't have the last word. It says, but his father named him Benjamin. I love this picture of a father who intervenes and gives his son a new name. And instead of being known as son of my trouble, he becomes known as son of my right hand. So in Jewish thought and culture, the place of honor and the place of blessing is reserved for the right hand. Where is it that Jesus sits? Seated at the right hand of God. It's a place of, of privilege. It's a place of blessing. It's a place of favor. And instead of allowing his son to go through life identified by his trouble, Jacob said, I want you to be identified with my blessing. You see, Jacob knew what it was like to wrestle with identity. So the name Jacob means he grasps the heel. And in Hebrew idiom, that meant you were a deceiver. Like, you're a trickster. You're a deceiver. The only way you get blessing is through deception. And if you look at how his life plays out, you'll find again and again, deception is used to get the blessing for his life. And so he tricks his brother out of his birthright. If you remember, he's got you know, the skins and all those things. And, and he steals his brother's blessing through trickery. He gains wealth and privilege by, by trying to manipulate different things. And so he, he's, in a sense, deceitful. And even though he had wealth, and even though he had family and privilege and power and all these different things, there was something deep inside him that was missing. And this is why God said, I want you to go back to the place of promise. That as he travels back, he has this incredible encounter with God at night. And you can read about, this as, read about this in Genesis 32 because there's this great wrestling that takes place between Jacob and God, the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord says, let me go. If you remember, they fought till daybreak. They fought in the middle of the night and until daybreak. And the, and the angel of the Lord says to Jacob, let me go. And Jacob just, he just, everything gets revealed in the, in the battle. How many know that there's lots of stuff that gets revealed in the battle? 
And all of a sudden, he has this cry that arises out of his heart that says, I will not let you go until you bless me. And I think this is so important because sometimes we think if I can get the family, if I can have the right relationship, if I can have the right amount of money, if I can have the right privilege, then I'll be blessed. And Jacob had everything and he's just like, you know what, I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me because there's a deeper blessing that our hearts long for. And the angel says, you will no longer be called Jacob, but you will be called Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. You will no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. Israel means struggles with God. And struggling with God in the sense that he struggled and he overcame. Like in the midst of this, he overcame that thing in him that kept him from the fullness in God's purpose. He, he struggled with God. He struggled with men. But ultimately, by God's grace, he became what he was created to be. He stepped into the fullness of what he was called to. You see, Jacob knew what it was like to wrestle with identity. He knew what it was like to be known as deceiver. But God says, listen, you're not going to be called deceiver anymore. You're going to be known for your victory because you wrestled with me. It was this grace that Jacob found that he gave to his son. You will not be called son of my trouble. You will not be identified and you, you, will, not be, you will not be the problems that you think you are. You, you will not be defined by the experiences you've gone through. You instead are going to be known as the son of my right hand. And this is what the power of the gospel does to you and to me. The gospel is all about the love of God intervening in our story to give us a new name. So that our lives don't have to be identified and defined by what's behind us. Our lives get to be defined by His grace. And he says, you're my child. You're not the trouble that you've been through. You're not that friction that you've been a part of. You're not that failure. You're not that sin. You're not that transgression. You are my child. And you are free. Did you know in that moment, Jacob just... I'm guessing he made the decision, decision to say, you know what, I will never hold my son responsible for what happened to the woman I loved. You're free. Some of you, you've been through some stuff, and what you need to know is you need to know the freedom that comes through Jesus Christ so that you don't have to continually be defined by what you've been through. You are his child. This is why I say God longs to intervene in our story and redefine us by his grace. How do we get redefined by grace? It's about coming as we are. He knows us. He knows our history, our hurts, our habits, and he still loves us. And he longs to give us new identity, one defined by his love and his goodness. It's about receiving His grace. 
And, and part of this idea of receiving grace is, so this is the way. So we're going to play football later with some of the kids. So you know how you catch a football? Go get your hands up and out. Get your hands ready. How many know it's really hard to catch something if you're holding something else? Y'all with me on this one? Like, it'd be fun to fill somebody's arms up with stuff and then throw something at them and say, catch this. <laughs> right? Wouldn't, wouldn't that just be a great, great, like, yeah, dude, let's do it. How many think we should do it to Dwayne? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but how, I mean, no, it's really hard to catch things when your hands are full. And, and part of how do we receive grace? Part of the way we receive grace is we have to learn to take our stuff and surrender it to him. We lay it down. God, here's my failures. I let them go. God, that person who hurt me. God, I let them go. God, my fear. I let that go. And when we begin to let go of things, it, it puts us in a place where our hands are open so we can begin to receive what God has for us. And I want you to know that God wants to take your troubles and he wants to bring something good to you. He wants to fill your life with his grace. I love how Isaiah said it. He gives us beauty for ashes. The oil of joy for mourning. Hey, maybe you feel that your life has been so torched over, you're like going, how can I bring junk for him? Now, I mean, we just got through Christmas and the drummer boy, remember the little drummer boy? I played my best for him. I'm going to bring my best. And some of you, you're like going, I don't have a best to give. And that's okay because you know what? You don't have to bring your best to God. Just bring what you got. And he'll take your ashes and he'll make something beautiful. It's not only coming as we are and receiving his grace, but learning to walk in his favor. Did you know that when God saves us, we get to be his children? Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. And that's what we are. We're his children. He gives us new standing. He gives us a place of favor and blessing. I love the story of the prodigal son. Do you remember the, the, the son who, who says, Dad, I wish you were dead so I could have my inheritance. Isn't that a nice, how many of you are like going, okay, kid, you want me dead? I'll kill you. I brought you into this world. I'll take you out, right? That's how we feel about it. But the father says, okay, here's your portion of the inheritance. And so he takes it and he squanders every bit of it. Every bit of it. And, and what was great is when he had the money and he could do all this stuff, his identity was, look how amazing I am. And he had friends. Look how cool I am. Everybody wants to party with me. Look what I got. This is great. And then he ran out. And then he had no friends. And as he sat there, he said to himself, how many of the servants in my dad's house were treated better than me? You see, here he was feeding pigs, and in order to survive, was eating the pig food. How many of my dad's servants are treated better than this? I'll just, he's, he's just like, you know what, I'll just go back home. And I'll go to him and I'll say, Dad, just let me be your servant. Like, just, I don't have to sleep in the good stuff. I don't have to sleep in the house. Just, like, just, 
just treat me like one of your servants because you treat your servants better than I'm just experiencing life. Now, just so you know, in Jesus' day, there was a story that was like that. And when the child returned, great grace was shown by making his son a servant. But that's not the story that Jesus came to tell. His story was this, is that when the young man made his way back toward his house, his dad saw that his boy was coming down the road. He's like, that's my son. And so it says the father ran to him, and in, 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 in that time, old people didn't run. It's undignified. This is why I don't jog in the morning. It's undignified. So sure enough, the dad runs to him, and the dad does three things. The first thing the dad says is, get him a robe. Give him my best robe. And even before his son could even like say anything like, dad, just treat me like a servant, all of a sudden, a servant is running to the house to get his dad's best robe. Now, that kind of makes sense because he's been living with pigs. How many know you don't want him to smell like that? Because it's hard to be near someone who stinks, right? I think that makes sense to me. But more than that, he was saying, listen, I want you to understand there's a dignity that comes with being my child. This is why in Scripture it talks about us as the followers of Jesus, we are clothed with robes of righteousness. That what God does is he puts his grace upon our lives. Secondly, he says, not only am I going to give you a nice robe, he says, I'm going to give you my ring. And the ring is like saying, uh, like because when you use your ring, you're demonstrating that the house will pay for this. So just imagine giving all your stuff to your kid who goes and squanders it all and he comes back and says, you know, and dad goes, hey, here, take my credit card, go get what you need. And so he goes and he gives him that. But then he says the third thing, and it's the third thing that I find most amazing. He says, get some sandals for his feet. The reason that is so significant is because in Jesus' day, slaves and servants didn't wear shoes. And the father said, listen, you are not going to be just a slave in my house or a servant. You're going to be my son. And part of this for you and for me, I want you to understand when God says, listen, I want grace to meet you. I don't want your life to be defined by your troubles, your history, all that stuff. I want your life to be defined by my grace, not just as servants, but as my children. You see, we need to come as we are, receive His grace, and walk in favor. I want to invite the worship team to come as we get ready to close. Part of this, too, is learning to share His love. Because I know there's a bunch of people around here, you know all about the new name because you're not what you used to be because of His grace. And what an opportunity we have to be like Jacob, the Benjamin, to speak life and grace to people who are wrestling with their identity and who they are. God cares deeply. And He has given us a new name. And he longs to give other people a new name. And in giving them a new name, helping them discover an identity, they belong to God. The things of this world are not the things that satisfy. Again, getting everything you want doesn't get you what you want.
See, there's a deep need that we all have in our hearts for God's grace to meet us. And the truth is, is he wants to intervene in our story and redefine us by his grace. Who am I? Who am I? Am I my troubles? Am I my transgressions? Am I the disappointments? Or am I a child of God? You don't have to be Benoni anymore. You can be a Benjamin. That's his grace to us today. Children of his right hand. Children of favor. Blessed. Because he paid the price for our sin and our transgressions. So that we can live new lives. Restored lives by his grace. Father, I thank you that you've come to help us understand who we really are. An identity that's bigger than our problems, our, our histories, our hurts, our failures, our disappointments. That we are your children. And in that we find life. God, I know that we live between Bethel and Bethlehem and we go through these times where life is, is difficult and hard. God, we get broken. Dear Lord, I thank you that you want us to be defined by your grace. And so we come to you today with all our hurts, all our disappointments, all our failures, and ask for your grace to change. And just while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, how many would just simply say, you know what, I'm, I'm going through a difficult time. And I need grace to meet me. Maybe you've been a little overwhelmed because you feel like you're just getting identified by the trouble that you're in. Or the transgression you've done. And you're saying, God, I just need grace to meet me in this moment. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Because I want to pray with you. See those hands. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. Father. These are your children. Children hungry for your grace. Lord, I thank you that we don't have to be who we are or what we've been through. But we just simply get to be your children. Lord, I thank you that you love us. That you meet us, you grant grace to us, to give us strength for the journey. And Lord, for these who have raised their hands... I pray your grace to them, your strengthening and your empowering. In Jesus' name.